0: I want to start with a bitter complaint Uh that's been brewing in me for some weeks, actually. It's just gotten worse and worse. Two weeks ago, Sky News' Wellington correspondent Jack Nyhoff tweeted the following video promo for an upcoming story.
1: Okay, I've got a ripper story coming up this weekend on Sky
2: News. It involves sex work, the right to BYO booze to the races, and most importantly, a biscuit tin, an old biscuit tin, what do all these three things have in common? Well, I'll let you know tomorrow. It's a political story.
1: That's another clue. And if you're confused, well, that's just Kiwi politics.
0: Wow. That sounds like an amazing story. The I'm trifecta. Say, the yeah, trifecta it's got of the biscuit tin, yeah. BYO boo, sex work. I'm hooked. Fantastic. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be. And I still don't know what it's going to be because I can't find it anywhere. He said it's coming up. It's not coming up. Where is it? Are you listening, Jack? Media Watch is holding you to account here. Uh, produce the goods, please. So Jack, Jack tweeted that out two and then weeks nothing, ago, and nothing, nothing since nothing. then. It's like it's a, it's quite the teaser to just put out there, and he hasn't deleted the tweet. It's still up there. Sure. It, it feels like we've all been conned. Should we irresponsibly speculate on what the story might be? Well, I think that you should, Emil. I think if I say allegedly three times before I you do, then, that, yeah. then legally we're in the clear. That's the word, right? Allegedly, s- allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. So what do you think it could be? Um,
1: <laughs> nah, let's not go there. Even okay, in not gest, the biscuit tin think, no.
0: BYO yeah. booze. Someone snuck some booze in the members' bill biscuit tin to the races. That hasn't included sex work. No. But I feel very dicey. Yeah, fine. that does feel yeah. like dicey territory.
1: All right, okay. let's talk proper media stuff then. Um... Waitangi Day was, was well has been the biggest story of the week thus far, and a lot of the coverage is fo- focused, as it tends to, on the speeches made by politicians. Uh, the crowd sang over David Seymour and Winston Peters, but Christopher Luxon has taken some, um, some heat as
0: well. Probably the most heat, and you'd think that would take some doing with David Seymour also showing up to the Marai. Uh He got uh, heat for a different reason, a different kind of... It's not hot heat, it's more dull, icy heat. So both the spin the <laughs> editor... Madeline Chapman and New Zealand Herald senior writer Simon Wilson, they issued the same criticism of him. They said his speech was too boring. Wilson called it dishwater... Oh, not dishwar- I di- dishwater. I thought it too, was dishwater too. I'm it's not. just reading my notes. It's ditch- it ditchwater dull. Ditchwater, yeah. This is this could come up later, but is it ditchwater dull or dishwater dull? The but original is that a- the
1: original simile apparently dates from the 1700s and is indeed dull as ditchwater water. Um, Oh wow! the the muddy water and roadside roadside ditches. Okay,
0: so I had that wrong my whole life. So Chapman, that was Wilson's description. Chapman said it was so boring it was insulting. Mm. And her point was that the cookie-cutter speech didn't particularly engage with the pressing concerns of the people that were there at Waitangi, and that made it seem like the Prime Minister didn't consider the issues that they had worth putting time and energy and thought into responding to on the spot. Harsh reviews... For sure, but maybe some justification to them because there was a bigger controversy over the speech than it just being boring, and that was that it was literally the same in parts as his one from last year. So here's Chris Luxon in 2023.
2: 183 years ago, Cook sailed south from, Ta- and seven decades after Cook sailed south from Tahiti, Crown and Maori came here to sign the Treaty of Waitangi.
0: And here he is this year. 184
2: years ago. Today, in seven decades after Cook sailed south from Tahiti, Crown representatives in Māori came together to sign Treaty of Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi.
0: And this is last year again.
2: And we know that they likely had different understandings of what they were doing. And we know that in the years that followed, the promise and the obligations of the Treaty were not upheld by the Crown.
0: And this is this year.
2: And we know that they likely had different understandings of what they were doing. And we know that in the years that followed, the promise and the obligations of the treaty were not upheld by the
0: crown. And look, that, that wasn't all. There was more of that it went... There was there was more extracts that were just directly copy and paste. And, and interestingly,
1: this uh, was was first picked up by some eagle-eyed, eagle-eared person on uh, x slash Twitter, delete as appropriate.
0: Yeah. X Twitter, some people call it. Uh, it's a kind of funny EX Twitter. Nice. Because uh, it is... Yeah, credit to the user SpiderHoof. <laughs> uh, I think also a TikToker, because I think they were the first to do this. Uh-huh. Their efforts have now produced quite a few major mainstream media stories. Uh, their montage was picked up by News Hub political reporter Amelia Wade. She put together her own montage of the two speeches and questioned Luxon to no avail as he beat a hasty path out of Waitangi Uh she didn't have much luck getting false answers out of him. News Hub's morning show AM had more luck the following morning, though. It played the same montage, but this time Luxon clearly had a pre-prepared answer to explain things away. And here it is. And they were trying to navigate
2: their way towards a united, stable, peaceful and prosperous future. Uh, Christopher Luxon joins us now from Wellington. Prime Minister, you, you've heard that and you've probably seen all of the coverage on this. What was your office thinking just doing a cut and paste job? Well, look, it's very deliberate. We want a consistency of message. You know, what I've felt about the treaty is what I've felt about the treaty for a long time. What I felt in 2023 will be what I felt this year and that's actually what I'm going to do next year. So people can trust us when we say there will be no change to the treaty.
1: Interesting comment. Um, I'll do the same thing next year.
0: Yes. This is this is not only that he was he thought that it was worth repeating, but it's, it's going to be repeated every single year in a strange piece of political performance art. So I guess next year people will be able to read the speech along with him. Uh, as it's delivered, as the former staff political reporter Henry Cook noted on Twitter, PR professionals do dream of that kind of message discipline. Uh, Colin Peacock, my boss, actually made a suggestion that he could maybe just do like they do in Parliament. I refer the honourable members to the statement I gave last year right, yeah. as a way of uh, yes. delivering the speech. I'm sure that would go very well.
1: Yeah, And um, Christopher Luxon was also asked about this on TVNZ.
0: Yeah, TVNZ's Breakfast, they took a different editing approach to News Hub, which was, in that clip, stitching stuff together. They just played the two speeches over the top of each other in a kind of cacophony of synchronised speech. Uh, But that was really the only point of difference that I could spot between the two prime ministerial interviews. Luxon repeated the same lines when quizzed on why he was saying the same lines.
2: We know that they likely had different understandings of what they were doing, and we we know know that in the years that followed... The promise and, and the obligations of the, of the treaty, treaty were, not were not upheld by the Crown. Here to clear up just what happened is the Prime Minister himself. Good morning, Mr Luxon. How did you think your speech was received? Well, good morning, Anna. Firstly, look, I, look, I really enjoyed Waitangi, uh, and it was a chance in that speech, uh, as we've been asked to by the Waitangi National Trust, to talk about our vision of where we're get going as a country for 2040. And then the second question we were asked is, what what are the things we need to do in the next three years to get towards that vision? So uh, yes, there were extracts of my speech that were the same from last year in 2023. That was deliberate. Uh, it's important to have a consistency of message, and particularly given some of the misinformation, misunderstanding around the treaty and what it means for us, uh, I thought it was important to express it again as Prime Minister.
0: It's an interesting one. I think maybe the PR person who came up with this either deserves a raise or or maybe it was a maybe a devotion. I'm not sure. are people buying that? Basically the excuse is that we're delivering the same speech because the treaty is the same. Yeah. Today. Because the
1: perspective the perspective is, is <laughs> the, is today the today same. Right? Like the message is the same, um the, 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 the feeling is the same. That's that's what Chris Luxon and his team's perspective on this on this is
0: yes so in some ways we're honoring the the permanence of the treaty in our nation's culture by delivering the same speech year after year i think it's a little bit tenuous to be honest
1: and i guess you can see how people at waitangi or people who are really hanging on to every word of these speeches to see what of the here and now is being addressed would feel disappointed at the idea of, uh, well, you know, swathes of a speech being sort of copy pasted from the year.
0: Yeah, because it it is a a year on
1: it is a year on things have happened in that year it's a different situation quite big things
0: in fact he's gone from leader as the media noted many in the media noted he's gone from leader of the opposition Mm. to prime minister obviously contentious bill that may be going to parliament later this year there's been things uh, such as the renaming of crown agencies there's there's different stuff there's a a dialogue that is taking place between Māori, iwi hapu and the crown right now and probably uh, a copy and paste job isn't that uh, necessary? It wouldn't necessarily go down that well in that context. And you have to say the media hasn't really bought the excuse. So I just thought it was interesting. This is Ingrid Hipkiss on RNZ's morning report with a snappy comeback to Luxon after he made some pre packaged critiques of the last Labour government in response to a question on the cost of the treaty principles bill that Act is putting forward.
1: But it's a huge amount of, of time and money to invest in something that's not going anywhere at a time where we're needing to cut costs.
0: Well, look, I
2: agree with you. I mean, we've had a government, a previous government, that increased government spending by eighty four percent with a lot okay, of wasteful okay,
0: spending. Okay, so, yes, no, so we, we have. Heard, heard, we, we we're not we cutting
2: are. and pasting again uh, this time for this for this interview on that. I know. I appreciate what you what you were saying there. <laughs> <laughs> well, was done,
0: it, well done, well Ingrid. <laughs> good, quite, quite, good, good. Yeah. Ingrid. There.
2: I mean, the thing
1: that I find a, a bit. Um, confusing about this is that you know the Prime Minister you wouldn't think would be writing all of his speeches word for word there would be a team of people who those speeches would go in front of and and surely
0: the Prime Minister's office is quite well staffed yeah, as I understand it
1: I mean people people will be writing these speeches and proofreading these speeches this is this is clearly a deliberate tactic and yet you can as I mentioned earlier, you know you can certainly see how this would needlessly inflame people. I don't
0: know. What do you What do you think? Well, that's probably what Madeleine Chapman and Simon Wilson are talking about there. About it being kind of offensive for it to be this boring or mm. this kind of kind of slapdash. I guess that there's not a lot of effort gone into it, and that makes people feel like they're not listened to, or that they're not a priority in that office. And whether that's accurate or not, whether you can extrapolate that just from the speech, I don't know. But that's sort of the impression. That it gives.
1: I can hear people though thinking. I can see the thoughts springing into the ether. Classic Media Watch, classic negative Media Watch, Um, always whinging, always hitting people up, uh, always focusing on the negative. When this event wasn't really a negative event overall,
0: was it? No, it wasn't. And it wasn't just about politics and this kind of stuff. And there were actually quite a few pieces about. pieces like features even about the vibe at Waitangi having a special wairua the celebratory tone almost behind the underlying discontent and to be honest I don't know if I need to say something new here actually I think maybe we should just play the tape from the last time I spoke to Emil two weeks ago. Both of uh, Gardangi Forbes and John Campbell's pieces are really surprisingly almost almost buoyant in tone in a way. Uh, both writers obviously inspired by this event, uh, by what Forbes describes as its the wairua that was present that drew people to it, or what Campbell calls through the words of Tama Iti as its vibes So... Yeah, Miki Ngarangi Forbes, she says, the Māori culture is so alive it is exciting and no wonder why, when there is a threat to the Māori way of life and being, Māori take affirmative action. So basically, it's a it's a, it's an expression of joy and reaction mm-hmm. to discontent. Now, that was me actually talking about the hui at Tūranga Waiwai Marai mm-hmm. two weeks ago, but actually repeating my earlier words is a deliberate choice meant to display <laughs> the consistency of messaging at Media Watch. It's Very actually quite good. respectful. Very good. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. It is true, though, um, some of these same themes and assessments have cropped up uh, in the coverage of uh, the Turanga Wai, Wai Hui and and yesterday's Waitangi celebrations.
0: Yeah, actually, some of the same themes as you could hear in that clip but that doesn't mean that I should necessarily just be repeating the same stuff I said two weeks ago. I mean, John Campbell did write a piece about the hui and Ngārua Wahia, elaborating on what he called the peace and joy at that event. He wrote another about Waitangi, about the excitement and unity on display at the commemorations. Among the people he spoke to was the Māori warden, uh, Marianne Vott. She's been attending Waitangi for the better part of 40 years. She effused about this year's event, saying it was beautiful and really different to previous years and she did also talk to, yes that other person from that clip meeting Ngarangi Forbes and Julian Wilcox in RNZ's live coverage, here she is
2: Tell us, what's Waitangi been like for you this year, 184th commemorations? To me, this has been the best Wow! It's been the best Why do you say that? I don't know, the Wairu I suppose it's just totally different Everybody's feeling the wairu is totally different this year. I don't know why.
1: Yeah, and I guess the, the story of that in a sense is that there is always a temptation to sort of box up Waitangi Day is being uh, good or a bad and to sort of make it quite binary and reductive, isn't it? But it is, you know, it, it contains multitudes.
0: Yeah, and contains multitudes of just people with different perspectives mm. and different things that they bring to the Treaty grounds. So I'd recommend RNZ's coverage, uh, Mihi Forbes and Julian, that was really good, Campbell's and TVNZ's live joint coverage with Fakata Mahdi that was billed as a celebration of the signing of Titiriki. Te or Waitangi through the eyes, songs, laughter and characters of those involved. So yeah, if you want to get an insight into the Waitangi commemorations outside of the political drama and the repeated speeches, those ones do talk to real people on the ground.
1: Uh, Hayden, you're also taking your name very literally and wanted to draw some attention to my Twitter account.
0: Yeah, I think this just really deserves attention. We're really hoping to make this a regular feature here because the journalist Emile Donovan... He's pumping out great con- content on his Twitter account, Thank night you. and day. Really engaging stuff, but somehow he's not sharing it necessarily on the radio show he hosts on Z Nights. So I just we'll just pick up on some questions that Emile's asked recently. Uh, he asked, uh, he's he's a big poll guy. You're, a, yeah. I love should poll. I stop talking to you? Yeah, I'll talk to you as a person now. You're a big poll guy. Yeah, yeah. What's the correct way to spell a here?
1: We talked about that on the radio.
0: Yeah, e h uh, E-H or a y e.
1: Yeah, we talked about this on the radio. This was surprisingly close.
0: I think it's EH, which is wild to me that anyone would say it's different.
1: Everybody, well, I disagree. I think it's a way.
0: That's ridiculous. Uh, this is great content, uh, engagement bait sort of stuff. Was it wrong when those two Olympic high jumpers, the Italian and the Qatari high jumpers, were allowed to claim a joint gold medal? Yes, it was wrong. He thinks it's wrong. Yeah, it's a very unpopular opinion. It's. it's I don't. I don't understand why that is an beautiful unpopular opinion. In
1: the spirit of the Olympics, it's not in the spirit of the Olympics. And in the spirit of the Olympics, is one person. We don't have time to, to discuss dark.
0: this right now, Emil. I'm trying to put it to the audience. It is in the spirit of the, the Olympics. Olympics, uh, which is about, I Maybe don't know, your Olympics countries coming it. together and all that sort of stuff. Uh-huh. Uh, and who was the funniest New Zealand politician current in all time. Yeah. So I just thought, you know, he's tweeting this stuff out to, to basically know people on Twitter. 3, we should put it to the hundreds people. of thousands that are listening right now. If you have opinions on any of those questions, do text it to 2101. I can't believe the Olympic gold medal won that people
1: think that that was a good Olympic moment. It's it wasn't. beautiful moment. Let's talk about police numbers. Um you wanted to highlight an opinion piece by Jared Gilbert in The Herald about Mark Mitchell and his so-called flip-flop on police recruitment numbers.
0: Yeah, to recap, for those who didn't see the story, Mark Mitchell told media he was extending the timeline on recruiting 500 new police officers to over three years rather than two, and that conflict with National's coalition agreement with New Zealand First, he was rebuffed by Winston Peters, then his own leader, and then he went on to admit that he got it wrong, and he was blasted in the media for the flip-flop and his uh, poor political tactics. Now, there was an there, there opinion piece in the Herald by Jared Gilbert, the criminologist, recently, and he said that Mark Mitchell actually got it right and training 500 police over two years is difficult to impossible without cutting corners and taking shortcuts on preparing people for what's a very highly res- high responsibility and important job. So I just wondered, is the media coverage here guilty of prioritizing well get criticizing the wrong wrong in some ways criticizing mark mitchell for his poor political tactics and his poor poor political judgment rather than actually maybe covering the bigger story which is that this policy is impossible the reality that he the the fact that he actually told the truth
1: well yeah i I, I, because my understanding of the unhappiness of mark mitchell over that was Mark Mitchell coming out and saying that figure and saying that that wouldn't be an achievable figure, but that con- conflicting with the, the policy, which, which remained the same. Even if the policy was unachievable, the policy was still that it would be 500 police o- officers over over two years. Um, and that sort of it was a wrapping over the knuckles in a very um, political speak sense, you know, almost oh. acknowledging a loss when the loss wasn't actually confirmed Confirmed yet? Is that your understanding of the? Yeah,
0: I think, and I, that's what the criticism is, and what the media criticism has been. I just wanted to one kind of put a question because I'm not actually sure I want to make this point too strongly, but but are, are we wrong in the media in criticizing his political inelegance um, over the, mm. the fact that he actually told, acknowledging, the a, truth?
1: yeah, yeah, and sort of sort of <laughs> getting it out there pretty early on that this thing that we said that we would do, hmm. we're not going to be able to hit that target a more realistic timeline is this, that's the situation now.
0: In the media, we are meant to be quite fond of the truth. We're actually meant to be sort of telling it in many ways. It's one of our prime goals, you'd have to say. And do we some, sometimes disincentivise people from actually telling the truth when we say, oh, you've got well, you've got the politics of this wrong. This is silly. Is it horse race politics? That's the wider coverage, issue, isn't it? to that, an extent.
1: That's the wider issue, is, is getting too way about it and... And being
0: like, well, this is tactically wrong. Yeah, you know what? It was a terrible political misstep telling the truth. Yes. Hmm. And that is a problem in not just this coverage, but throughout the political realm that we prioritize in many ways tactics over um, just people being straight up and down with us. And in some ways you kind of think... It would be better if we could just reward hmm. people telling the truth. Maybe that's a bit too utopian, a bit too naive, but uh, but at least Media Watch is saying justice for Mark Mitchell here. Well, it might improve trust
1: in media uh, doing a thing like that, and that is a neat segue because we were going to talk a bit about that as well. There was a, an episode of The Detail today that looked at
0: trust in media, which is really plummeting from not-so-high baseline levels. Yes, 45% of us trust the media now. I won't play the clip, but the, the, the basic thesis here is that politicians like Winston Peters, the, the rail against journalists, call them untrustworthy and biased, and that's uh, exacerbating this crisis that's putting our democracy in peril. Uh, I'm not sure that, that, that it's necessarily Winston Peters and these kinds of political criticisms that are, that are actually so important here that they're more of a symptom rather than a cause. Mm. Do you know? Do you know what I mean? Well, it's
1: always been fertile ground. Politicians, um, you know, hitting up the media,
0: and and that, that for Winston that predates the the, the internet yeah. for one thing. Like he's always criticised the media. I I think probably he's just now got fertile ground there because of the internet. Right, there's large segments of the population now that have been won over by pretty dubious claims or outright misinformation. They really dislike the message that the media tells them. They feel that it's not telling the whole story because of that, and that means that pet politicians like Peters can just speak past journalists or lambast journalists with impunity mm. because his electorate is not his electorate is not listening. His electorate is hostile to those uh, to the media.
1: I mean, th- this podcast played before this this podcast that we're discussing about trust in media played before this program. And so when I got in and turned on the computer and looked at the text, the texts were responding to that detailed podcast Mm -hmm. and a lot of the texts were saying that is a good podcast, but what it neglected to really go into was the media's own responsibility for the, the, the the fall of, of trust in the media and a sort of a, a kind of soul searching and a reflection on that. I mean, what do you make of that idea?
0: I think that this is we we have almost uh, responded to social media and its advent as poorly as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and the, media, I mean, the adjustment
1: we, to the to the technological changes that happened in the media yeah. um was was not executed well by industry at large, it's fair We've to say. been
0: strategically inept. And the, the, the podcast, to be fair, does talk about the failing economic model of the media, mm-hmm. which is caused by, for social media, hoovering up its advertising. But it doesn't really go into just how strategically inept the media was in response to that. It has uh, gone two ways. It's, co- it's Some of it's, it's sort of belatedly done paywalls, but usually it's actually tried to compete mm. with social media compete with social eyeballs, media clicks, and clicks, yeah. And that has meant that it's often degraded its own product which has eroded trust in it and has made it hard to build back as a kind of premium brand mm. uh, which is the sort of the selling proposition these days for the most part and, and it's a
1: tricky thing to bring back isn't it because i mean we've got about a minute left but you know what's the old the old adage of something along the lines of it takes a lifetime to build up trust and a second to lose it
0: yes exactly and maybe when we were looking at the numbers and watching those clicks come in and just desperately trying to keep our heads above waters trying to compete between the Herald and stuff for the most page views we weren't thinking about those long term implications the declining trust that we were causing in our media and maybe some of that's unavoidable maybe social media in many ways is just going to uh, give people ready access to dubious information and serve it up to them in an Mm. algorithm and there's nothing we could do about that but we haven't helped ourselves that much either Mm. Yes, I guess when checks and balances are your main
1: point of difference in editorial standards, you really want to lean into that. Yes, as opposed to going down the other route.
0: To speak in advertising speak, we didn't we didn't necessarily bang home of our point of difference all that well.